Church, we are so glad to have you with us this morning, those watching online and in person as the sun streams in through the windows. Welcome. Glad to have the choir with us this morning. And I also want to call your attention, we have a guest violinist, Ingrid Fredrickson, that will be part of our special music this morning as well. In regards to announcements, we have tonight our game night, and Pastor Raven usually helps lead this out. She is sick this morning, and that's why I am up here instead of Raven, but we still plan to have the game night. We just might not have the uh, wonderful snacks that she often brings. Feel free to come, bring some snacks if you like, and that starts at 6.30 tonight in the fireside room, so we'd love to have you with us. The other announcement that I want to call your attention to, starting next Friday, we are starting an inclusive Bible study. What we mean by that is for a long time, we have been trying to reach the demographic of young adults slash collegiate students. We are still trying for that. We are still reaching out for that demographic. But we also want to really make it open to everybody. So starting next Friday at 7 in the Fellowship Hall, we have a new Bible study called The Young and the rest of us. What that means is, whoever you are, truly, you are welcome to come and attend. We are focusing on reaching out to our young adults, and they will come, but also any of you that want to come for a Bible study on Fridays at 7, please join us, and that starts next week. And we're going to be doing the first study is new wine. It's this idea that Jesus talks about where he wants us to think of the reality of church and theology in new and beautiful ways. And as we do this study, each day, for those that want to get the most from it, you can have a, a study on your own home time. But then on Fridays, as we come together, we'll have a discussion around the, the topic together. So that starts next week. Today after church, we have potluck, so everybody is welcome to attend that. And then next week, we have our praise and soup. So those are some things to keep in mind on the calendar. At this time, we're going to have our uh, meet and greet, pass the peace. So get up, uh, extend a hand to a neighbor, and, and greet them in the name of the Lord. And when you hear the organ music, it is our hint to come back uh, to our seats. So go ahead and, and greet one another now.
God in heaven, we invite you into this space this morning. As the sun shines through, come into our hearts, come into our lives, 
And as we walk through the church doors, any anxiety, tensions, worries, fears that we've had throughout the week, we give them to you, claiming the promise that anything that we give to you, you will transform into peace. Be with us now, and we pray this in your name. Amen. If we read the bulletin this morning, uh, we'll see that the offerings are destined to the North American Division, to the Adventist TV Evangelism. So I'll ask the Dinkons to raise and let's do a short prayer. Dear Lord, we again thank you for the beautiful morning. Bless the offerings and the tithes that will be given today. Amen. Good morning, boys and girls. So this morning, we're going to revisit a familiar story. This is from the book of Exodus, where the Israelites are in Egypt, and they're slaves, and they have to work hard all the time, and they get abused, and their lives are really miserable, and they call out to God to deliver them from this slavery. So he comes, and he visits the head of the Israelites in Egypt. So anybody remember who was the head of the Israelites in Egypt? Who? Pharaoh was the head of the, of the Egyptians. Moses, very good. So he came to visit Moses and he said, okay, you go and talk to the Pharaoh and you threaten him with plagues. We got 10 plagues. So he went and he visited the Pharaoh and he said, you need to let us go free and leave. And if not, I'm going to bring a plague on you. And the Pharaoh says, nah, not going to go for it. So 
He turned all the water into blood in all of Egypt. That was the plague. That was pretty bad. So the Nile River and the lakes and everything, they turned into blood. Wow. But uh, Pharaoh's advisors, they said, oh, no, no, we're magicians. Look, we can turn water into blood. This isn't a sign from God. They just have magicians. So the Pharaoh says, okay, now you can't leave. All right. So uh, Moses says, okay, here's the next plague, frogs. Okay, we're going to have frogs all over the place. And Pharaoh said, oh, yeah, no, I don't like this. Okay, you can leave. Okay, we're leaving tomorrow. And then the next day, Pharaoh goes, I changed my mind. Now you can't leave. So now he had eight more plagues that he could visit on. And one of those we actually experience every once in a while here in Seattle. So we'll see if we can guess what that is. So, yeah. So we're going to try to guess which one that was. So if we um, look at plagues that we have in Seattle, let's look at some of the plagues we have in Seattle and see if any of those were the ones that went on the Egyptians. Okay, so one good one would be drizzle. Yeah, look, if you don't let us go, we're going to have drizzle for two weeks solid. You're not going to see the sun. It's just going to rain. It's going to be miserable. And you can't use umbrellas because it's Seattle. But that wasn't one. That's a good one, but that wasn't the one that he, that he one of the eight that he did. So let's see. It could be slugs. No, it wasn't slugs. Could be blackberry bushes. No, wasn't blackberry bushes. Let's see. Maybe um, farm-raised salmon. You think that? No, no. Or uh, restrained uh, social interactions. You know the Seattle freeze. No, no, that wasn't it. Oh, how about this one? How about the 49ers? Yeah. No, that wasn't the plague. No. Actually, uh, the Seahawks used to win some of those games back in Old Testament times. <laughs> so, no, so, he, so the one that he chose that we occasionally see in Seattle was, you got it, Driz, uh, hail. So everybody knows what hail is, right? You've seen hail? Okay. Um, so that, that was pretty bad. The hail came, they hadn't seen hail like that ever. And they had thunder and lightning, and it was really bad. So, um, uh, so hail is mentioned 14 times in the Bible. 14 times they mention hail. It's always bad. It's never good. When they talk about hail, it's always really bad. And um, so we're going to show, so this is a nice segue into my theme for the February children's stories, which is about my last visit to Mexico for a month. Uh, but first we're going to show, this should be a YouTube video, just to show the... Uh-oh. hail can be... And we had a hailstorm in Mexico that was just as bad as that. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there. It was in the spring, but my nephew sent me videos that two megabyte files look 
good on the cell phone, but they don't look very good on the big screen. Um, but anyway, I think we're going to try, let's see, this. So here's a picture of our property right after the hailstorm. And then we're going to see a video. It shows our house across the yard. You see those hailstones bouncing around on the yard? That's our house in the back. So it caused some damage, um, but we've been recovering, uh, including, let's see, this was the top to the, um, our water tank on the roof that got destroyed. And also, that's my gutter. Can you see that? It was just demolished by the hail. So anyway, I hope we learned a few things. How many plagues were there? Yes. Ten. Ten plagues. Do you remember what the first one was? Turned water into blood. What was the second one? Frogs. And then the one that we also have in, in um, Seattle, number seven, that was? Hail. Right, so we learned there's 10 plagues, what three of them were, and hopefully we learned that when you are buying construction material, don't always buy the cheapest. Okay, thank you, that's the end of our story. So get the blue buckets and collect money for our hands across the water.
If you can kneel, kneel. If not, lean forward. We're going to talk to God now. Holy, 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 Lord God, almighty. We come before your throne this morning with joy and thankfulness and we come with praise this morning. You have brought us here safely, and we are in your presence now. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to surround every member who is in this sanctuary. We ask for your blessings. We ask for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy to fall upon us. We ask that you forgive us for sins and transgressions and failings committed during this week. And we pray, God, that you will wash our hearts clean and renew a right spirit within us. Oh, Lord, the times are dark and violent and horrible, and yet we climb above the misery that we are surrounded with every single solitary day to greet you again and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. And we pray that you will give us in these very, very troubling times, you will give us a passion for serving you, for living in your presence, and we pray that you will help us to have a hunger to enter into that close, intimate relationship with you, Lord, to submit to your will, to do your bidding, to have a joy in telling others, Jesus has saved me. He can save you, Lord. Give us energy and give us resolve to let others know that you are coming again soon and we want to be ready. We want to abide in your righteousness so that we can say, lo, when you come, lo, he has come. This is our God and he will save us. And so we ask, Lord, that you fill us up with your power and with your goodness and with your spirit. And now I want the congregation to think back when you were children and you sang the song, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I want you to now, as we humbly appear before God, just, just sing that song prayer quietly. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today. Come in to pray, come in to pray. 
Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we end our prayer. Testament reading comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 103, verse 13 to 14. It says, the Lord, the, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust.
The New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, So whenever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. May the Lord bless the hearing of the word. Pastor Raven and I are in a new series called Encountering God. As part of this series, we are going to interview various church members and get their perspective on how they have encountered God. 
Over at the Candlelight Christmas concert, I had the privilege of meeting Ryan, and I'm going to invite Ryan forward now, and he's going to share a little bit of his perspective of how he has encountered God. Ryan grew up in western Washington. He studied religion at the Adventist University in the Philippines. He has served as a teacher at Maxwell Adventist Academy in Kenya, and then served as student and spiritual life leader at Middle East University in Lebanon, where he also graduated with an MA in education. Currently, he serves as a caseworker with homeless families in our region. Ryan, it's so good to have you with us, and we'll get right into it. The first question that I want you to reflect on is, in what circumstances or situations have you felt a connection with God? Sure. Well, I think when I look at my life and the way that I experience God, I've felt a connection with God when I look at my experience with him as a journey, going from one point to another. And so when I look at my life and I look at different journeys that I've been on, I may not feel God's presence in that moment, in that specific journey, or in these instances, but when I take a moment to pause and reflect at the end of a journey, at the end of an experience, and I look back and I think, God showed up here, here, and here. Um, God was there for me in this moment, in that moment, and I only recognize that at the end of an experience I've had. So maybe not like, not like most people where maybe they'll feel something right away or like all the time, but when I take a moment to reflect at the end of something I've been through, I realize God was there. Thank you. Do you think that people's encounters with God are personal, subjective, or do you think there's like a universal element to these sorts of stories and encounters? I think like the more that I've worked with people on the different experiences I've had in my short career and, and in life, the more that I've worked with people, I realize people are extremely unique. People are extremely special, wonderful, individual people. And so I think that God works with each of us on individual ways. He meets us where we're at, and he talks to us in ways that resonate with each of us. Um, I know that maybe there's this prevailing idea that all of us should have a transformative, spiritual, singular event where we all come to recognize God in this, in this wonderful, miraculous, grand moment. That's not the way that I've felt it or that I've seen it with other people. I've seen that um, these experiences that people have are all unique in their own special ways. But that being said, I think when we look at Scripture and we look at these patterns of the way that God shows himself to us, I've seen that God prefers to show himself in unconventional ways, ways that we don't expect. So God can show up um, by bringing a whale to swallow up Jonah or by choosing a young Jewish girl named Esther to save her people. Um, he shows up as a still small voice to speak to Elijah. Or Jesus himself comes to us as a baby born to a teenage girl. And these are all unconventional ways that God shows himself to us, which are unique. And I think we have to look beyond what we think is typical or conventional to see this is how God shows up in our lives. Thank you. Has it changed for you over the course of your life? Like, how do you experience God now compared to previously? Or sure. Same? I think, well, okay, growing up as a good little traditional conservative Adventist boy, 
Um, maybe I divided my life between what was sacred and secular. I don't know if that resonates with any of you, but like, for example, I had playlists that I would put in folders, and one folder said secular, and one folder said Christian or religious. So maybe that sounds familiar to you. And that was the way that I felt like this is the way I'm supposed to see my world. There's things that you do on Friday and Saturday that you don't do the rest of the week, and there's things the rest of the week that you don't do Friday and Saturday. Um, but as I've grown up, I've realized God shows up in all these wonderful things in all these different ways to us that if we open our eyes and allow ourselves to see God is in these moments where we're celebrating, having good times with friends. God is with us when we go to church. God is with us when we're at the hospital. God is with us when we're playing soccer in the field. He's on, in all these beautiful moments. And so, um, like Paul says in Colossians, he holds all things together in himself. Or in Thessalonians, that we're supposed to pray in all things, be thankful in all things, um, seek him in all things, that Jesus is always there in, these, in, in all these diverse experiences that we can have as humans. So I'm glad that I don't see my life divided between just the secular and the sacred, but I see that God is present in all things. Thank you, Ryan. And the last question, what has led you in your search for God? Like, where did it come from? I'm extremely thankful that I grew up hearing these constant, persistent voices telling me that God, not only God is real, but that God is love. And these constant, persistent voices throughout my whole life, throughout my childhood growing up, stayed with me, and they were so strong in me that when I started hearing voices that were contrary to that, I knew that that was wrong. And I held on to this, this anchor that God does love me, God loves all people. God desires not to cast out anyone. He doesn't treat anyone as other, but that God embraces everyone. Um, I've held on to that, to that idea that, that God is love, and I'm thankful that there were all these voices that persisted in my life in that way. And so because they were so strong, those voices saying that God is love were so strong in my life, I realized this is something worth pursuing. This is something holding on to. And so... I've allowed myself to, to experience God by searching, searching Him, searching for Him through, through knowing that He is loving despite what other people say. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Just put it right there. Today's topic in the Encountering God series is remarkably ordinary. As Ryan alluded to, sometimes we think of testimonies and experiences with God as these grand, miraculous events, and they can be that. Today, in our Sabbath School Bible study, we were looking at Paul's conversion, where literally a voice from heaven and a light came down and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? That happens sometimes. But the majority of the time, the way that an encounter with God looks like is in the ordinary day-to-day -day events of just living life. And that's what we're going to look at today. But I want to start with the way that Ryan ended. He grew up in and was shaped by an environment that was saturated in the love of God. At its best, this is the Adventist worldview. One of our founders in her five-volume treatise, commentary on the Bible, begins with the book Patriarchs and Prophets with three words, God is love. 
five books later, as she tries to encapsulate the whole thing, she concludes with the same three words, God is love. In the final analysis, this is what we are called to pay attention to. Now contrast this with popular theology that has seeped into our collective consciousness over the centuries. It is the view that you are a vile sinner condemned to damnation, worthy of death. Damnation and torture is what you deserve. You were born with a bent to be bad, and bad people should be damned. We all have no problem seeing a bent towards evil in somebody like Hitler. But what about you and me? Sometimes we're good. Sometimes we do the things that we should. But does Jesus still love us even when we're bad? Even if we've stretched the truth once or twice or gossiped behind someone's back, what if We've neglected to pray or read our Bible occasionally. Does that destine us for destruction in God's eyes? What about our kids and grandkids who no longer attend church but are otherwise pleasant? Will God damn them? What does the Bible say about all that? When I visited the Walla Walla State Penitentiary as a pastor, and was visiting the inmates, do you know what the number one song that was requested by the inmates was? I asked uh, Dr. Cleveland in the choir to help us sing a little bit of this, and I want you to sing it as you hear the organ play. This was the song most requested by the inmates in the Walla Walla State Pen. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The view that we were created bad as vile sinners has so crept into our worldview that sometimes we assume that is what the Bible actually says. But I think if we slow down, stop, and pay attention this isn't the biblical worldview at all. There's a movie called The Bridge Over Terabethia, and in a moment I'm gonna play a short clip from this movie. And there's a scene within the film that shows this young girl, never attended church, she has liberal parents, they're kind and pleasant, and she's invited by a neighbor friend of hers to attend church for the first time. And on the day she goes to church, it's a day like today where 
the sun is shining through the window and she's enamored by the whole thing. The choir, the music, she's touched and she finds it all beautiful. Meanwhile, her neighbor friends who have been going to church week after week after week don't see the beauty. They're afraid. They might have a Calvinistic view. Do you remember in Calvinism, there's tulip, and the T stands for uh, total uh, depravity. And there's this view that she has, that the, the neighbors have, that they are so bad that the Bible says if they don't get it figured out in turn, they're going to be damned. I want to share the clip, if we can put it up on the screen here, of the kids after church sort of discussing their worldview. I'm really glad I came. That whole Jesus thing. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's not interesting. It's scary. It's nailing holes through your hands. It's because we're all vile sinners. God made Jesus die. You really think that's true? It's in the Bible, Leslie. You have to believe it, and you hate it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. You gotta believe the Bible, Leslie. Why? Because if you don't believe in the Bible, God will damn it to hell when you die. Wow, Maybell. Where'd you hear that? That's right, huh, Jess? God damns it to hell if you don't believe in the Bible. I think so. Well, I don't think so. I seriously do not think God goes around damning people to hell. He's too busy running all this. Leslie has her antenna tuned to the larger perspective. The good, the beauty, the joy, the love. Whereas her friends were conditioned, as many of us through the centuries of church life have been conditioned, that we are bad and bad people are damned. But as we sang just a minute ago, the Bible says the picture that we have that is most true and most beautiful, Jesus loves us when we're good, when we do the things we should, but Jesus loves us when we're bad, even though it makes him sad. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The biblical story starts out with this description. When God formed Adam, he made him out of the dust of the ground. Remarkable, really. Creation, humanity, begin with God molding us in the dirt. Later, Psalms 103, if we put it up on the screen, reflecting on this moment, says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. Some people take that to mean that we are so insignificant, we're essentially dirt from the ground. I don't see it that way. What this calls to my mind is God does remarkable things with ordinary things like you and me. He begins in the dirt and makes a masterpiece. Out of the dust, he creates stars. 
Out of dirt, he creates human beings that think and react and create and live and dance and play. And he designed us not to be bad and vile. He created us in a destiny to be good. Now, this is important because the emphasis of where we land on this continuum in our theology makes all the difference. If we believe that we are basically bad and that is our bent, we sometimes live up to that calling. That's just in my nature. It's who I am. I can't help it. But I have seen, even with people that have had addictions, have fallen short, when you speak to the truth of who they and, and we were created to be, we live up to that higher calling. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we fall short. But we were called, we were created to be good. And that emphasis makes a huge difference. Dirt, dust, humanity, all of it reflects the image of God if we are willing to see. On Valentine's Day next week, much of the Christian world will celebrate something called Ash Wednesday. It's a call to remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. For more than 1,500 years, Christians have used these words to mark the day as they dip their fingers into ash and smudge the sign of the cross on their foreheads. Adventists haven't typically celebrated Lent. Perhaps it's because we think it's too Catholic or something. But I find comfort in the transparency and honesty of the day when we confess our human brokenness and finitude, there is a sense of relief and liberation that comes with knowing it's not all up to us. God is God. And what's more, God loves us without condition or exception. My prayer for us today comes from a poem by Jan Richardson called Ash Wednesday, Blessing the Dust. It goes like this. So let us be marked not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming that God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made, and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. What we keep at bay becomes the very thing our faith depends on. By admitting our own finitude, we see God's infinitude. Confronting death brings us new life. Knowing our limit gives us freedom. And through the mess of dust, it's that we come to know the holy. What comes to your mind as you think of holiness? Perhaps it's an image like this, saints, worshiping in a church. But according to Jesus, the holy is in the ordinary. He invites us to consider the lilies and how they grow. Consider what it is to find the things you had lost, that coin, that ring that your mother gave you, that photograph that could not be replaced, and, and suddenly it's there. Consider your heart itself. Consider the lost sheep. Consider the dead sparrow. Consider the way that 
leaven works in bread. Consider the way that seeds grow, that tiny little bit of a seed that grows and grows until it's as big as a tree. Pay attention, Jesus says, to these things. And of course, Jesus says that the greatest commandment is this, loving God and loving our neighbors. That is what holiness is about. That's how to encounter God. But what does it mean to love God? I don't know that I'm all that good at it, but I think one of the things it means is just as in the case of loving anybody else, you stop and watch and wait, listen for God, stop and wait for him. To love God means to pay attention, be mindful, be open to the possibility that God is with you in ways that unless you have eyes open, you may never glimpse. He speaks words that unless you have your ears open, you may never hear. But when we hear spiritual music, we dance for joy. Friedrich Nietzsche said something that makes me think of that very thing. Now, he came from a place, not as a believer, he resisted, but he was thoughtful. And he said, those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. The biblical lesson is that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. When we have our antenna tuned, we see it all around. We're like the girl in the bridge over Terabathia. When she goes to a church, she sees the sun shining in through the window, and she finds it beautiful and wonderful. She hears the same story of Christ and his love, and she's not afraid. She's attracted to the wonder of it all. Have your antenna attuned to spiritual things. We think of holiness as grandeur and greatness. We think of it as only attainable by an elect few, but holiness at its heart is presence. It's showing up for the long haul, and sometimes it's boring and mundane. Peter Gabriel, in his song, The Book of Love, describes it like this. The book of love is long and boring no one can read the whole thing. It's full of charts and facts and figures and instructions for dancing. But I, I love it when you read to me. And you can read me anything. The book of love has music in it. In fact, that's where music comes from. Some of it's just transcendental and some of it's really dumb. But I, I love it when you sing to me and you can sing me anything. The book of love looks ordinary on the surface. It's changing diapers, wiping up the vomit, cleaning up the pee. Being in it for the long haul, not just at the beginning where you say I do, but even at the end when the wrinkles have grown in. The book of love can be long and boring. It looks ordinary, but it's where the magic happens. When we look closer at the ordinary, it's actually what makes life meaningful and great. 
its faithfulness, joy, peace, and presence. It makes me think of this poem by William Martin where he says, do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. In this series, we have looked and we are looking at different ways to encounter God. My advice for you today is to look for God in the ordinary. Emily Dickinson once wrote in a letter to a friend where she said, the only commandment that I have ever not broken is the command to consider the lilies. Jesus says, consider the lilies and how they grow. But my guess is that anyone who takes time to be present to consider the lilies, to observe the world, is actually more likely to keep all of God's laws. The Bible says that whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. I think another way of saying that is pay attention. Each day is a gift. Savor it. Dance, play, observe. Slow down. Be present and drink it all up. There will be sorrow. There will be gladness. Pay attention to it all. The ordinary can be quite extraordinary if we have eyes to see and ears to hear.
As we conclude in prayer, I will also pray a blessing on the food in the fellowship hall downstairs that all of you are invited to. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May we be attuned to your love for us and may it extend from us to others. Thank you for the opportunity to come to this place and worship together as a church community. May we have love for one another and may it be that the world around us can see that there's still a power and a work in the world, a unifying presence in a world that's divisive. Be with us today on this Sabbath day. Give us your rest. Give us your peace. And bless the food we are about to eat to our bodies. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.